Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Thursday, let's see, what is this? The 8th? Gosh, February 8th. So glad that you have joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. Our practice here is we go through, during the week, the passage of Scripture that we're going to be preaching on for that upcoming Sunday. And hopefully, that gives you sort of a glimpse into how I'm approaching a passage, how I'm thinking about it, how I'm attempting to pull it apart and examine it and get the context and the application, all those things. And of course, the, the reason that uh, we want to do it this way is hopefully it'll be helpful to you in your own personal study of God's Word, that you'll get some tools for your own um, interpretive tool belt study habits, those sorts of things, and um, be help equip you in your study of God's Word. Well, we, of course, we are going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in Matthew 13 through 20 this week, and I think I said yesterday that um, this is a meaty passage, a weighty passage, and in some ways, um, to this point, the, the summit of Matthew's Gospel um, we obviously know the death and resurrection of Jesus are the are the defining moments in, in not just Matthew's gospel, but human history. But to this point, everything has been building to this to to this juncture. And Matthew wants to put the spotlight firmly on what happens in this passage in order to help um, give context for what's come before and then what is to happen afterwards. And so let's pick this back up. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So, brief review from yesterday. Jesus is now entering the final six months of his life and ministry. He has experienced unprecedented success in Galilee, even into the Gentile territories. But now he is back within... Um, the territory of northern Israel, and he's going to start making his way down to Jerusalem, where we know death awaits him. And as we're thinking about what is it that's going to ground this journey, in other words, for the disciples, why is it that they should continue on with Christ, right? What, you know, he very obviously is not doing messiah-ing things, right? He's, uh, he's, not, he's not conquering Romans and taking territory and being a political victor. And so if the disciples are going to follow him, there has to be clarity in their minds about who he is. And so 
Jesus, knowing this, leads them into this little um, Q&A discovery time. And he says, who, who do people say that I am? And they give these various responses. And, and we talked yesterday about why people might have answered in the way they did. But then he turns the question to them. And of course, it's the question to us. But who do you say that I am? And I want us to camp out on this answer that Simon Peter gives, because I think it is the fullest expression of the Christology of the New Testament that we have seen thus far, and certainly the clearest that the disciples have understood and articulated. And none of the elements in this confession of Peter's are new, um, but what 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 makes them impactful is that they're all brought together um, at the same time um, with the full force of that confession behind them. So let's go back and look. First of all, when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, let's remember here that Son of Man is sort of Jesus's cloak and dagger routine about his identity. So the Son of Man was a generic term at the time that um, just designated a person. It was a title of, of kind of humility, right? And um, I'm just a regular human being, kind of, so to speak. But we know from Daniel chapter 7 that the scriptures also speak of another son of man, capital S, capital O, capital M. And this is God's messenger or God's um, envoy he's going to send from heaven to conquer and rule the nations and bring justice. So, so in his visions, Daniel says, I see one on the clouds looking like a son of man. Now, so Jesus is, and this is kind of the double entendre, when he uses this title, it's, it wouldn't have aroused too much suspicion, right? It was a very common title. Until he gets in front of the, 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 the religious leaders at his trial before his crucifixion, he says, I am the son of man. And you'll see me coming on the clouds, and they realize um, who he's referring to. But here, the 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 cloak is removed in its entirety, and I want I want you to focus on two aspects of what Simon Peter says here. Okay, first of all, he says, "You are the Christ." Now, that word, the Christ, means anointed one or chosen one. So it's a title, okay? So a lot of times when we think about Jesus Christ, that's, Christ is not his last name, uh, not his surname. Christ is a, is a title. And we've seen this um, in Matthew before, right? Um, so for example, in Matthew 1.17, it says in the, in the genealogy of Jesus, it talks about the generations from Abraham to David to Babylon, the deportation, to the Christ. And so again, Christ is a title, okay? Means anointed one, blessed. And this was the title that most often would be associated with the Messiah. And so here, the first thing that Peter is saying is that Jesus is the chosen one. He is the Messiah. He is the um, the long-awaited, hoped-for um, Old Testament predicting um, one who has come to save his people. That's significant, but that's not all Simon says. So then he says, the son of the living God. Okay, now 
this idea of the Son of God. Um, we've heard once before when they were in the boat and they were they were there, they were, you know, the storm, Jesus spoke, calmed the storm, he walked on the water, and they looked at that and said, you are the Son of God. And this would have been, of course, a profession of Jesus's deity. See, to this point, it wasn't so clear that the Messiah was also going to be God, or Messiah was also going to be deified. They thought of him as a political warrior. But here, um, in this confession, Simon is, is essentially saying, we recognize your divinity. We recognize um, your you're not just a mere man, okay? And, and again, this would have been, as we will see, a startling new revelation in, in Jewish thought that the idea that the Messiah, the Anointed One, was also going to be God or deity. But Simon adds one more thing to this that really brings all of these elements together in a powerful way. He says, you are the Son, not just of God, but of the living God. Okay, now that's that's a significant title that we don't see that often in Scripture. So, in my uh, tablet here, there's a little footnote, okay, um, or or subtext that I click on that gives me all the references for um, the term "living God" and where else it's used in Scripture. And if you have a study Bible, it, it will do the same for you. And so here's, here's just a sampling, okay? Just a sampling. So first of all, Deuteronomy 5.26. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? See, there, there's, there's, there's God, the gods, okay, of the Canaanites and the surrounding the Philistines. But there is only one living God, enduring God, eternal God. And this was the way Jews spoke about Yahweh, the first and the last, the one who had no beginning, the one who has no end. Here's another reference, Joshua 3.10. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Psalm 42, 2, my soul's thirst for God, for the living God. When shall I come before God? Okay. And we could go on and on. There's a number of Old Testament references to this. Okay. There's also um, a couple of uh, several New Testament references. So for, for example, Acts 14, 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is within them. Here's the significance of Peter's confession here. You are the Christ, absolutely. You are God, absolutely. But you indeed are the living God. You are Yahweh. You are the God of the Old Testament. You are the fulfillment of all that we have seen. Do you see the richness and the fullness of this confession, right? Jesus is not just God's messenger or Messiah or some deified angel. 
He is, in fact, God himself. He's God incarnate. And as such, he is not a dead Messiah. He is not just merely an historical figure. He is the living God, yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that's an amazing, amazingly um, powerful, right, um, confession. I mentioned this yesterday. Um, Jesus, as a historical figure or teacher, might receive lo a lot of accolades. But when you get to the heart of it and say, who is Jesus really? He gives us no other option than to say, he is in fact the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is gonna be important because for the next six months, this is going to be tested in the most agonizing and suffering inducing ways in the life of the apostles. They are going to desert Jesus. They are going to see all their dreams and hopes shattered. They are going to have to walk in faith. They are going to um, be confused. They're going to be tempted to desert. They're all those things. But in the end, what holds them fast? It is this confession about who Jesus is. And that's important to, to remember for us, right? That we might be experiencing death in a lot of areas in our life. And by virtue of the fact that we're human, living in a fallen world that's temporary, everything is tainted with death. Every, nothing is forever, right, in this life. But yet there is one thing that is. That is the living God who we grab hold of and hope and walk in faith, knowing that he will uh, rescue our soul from Sheol, from death, and be the living God for us, not just today, but for all eternity. That's why this confession is so significant. Now, tomorrow, um, we're going to look at, the, at verse 17, this blessing that Jesus pronounces over um, Simon Peter and the significance of that blessing for us. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do confess in unity and unison with the apostles. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, Lord, it's in you and you alone in this life can we put our hope. Lord, remind us of that today. Bind our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow morning.